Before we start today's episode, we encourage everyone to head to the link in the podcast description where you will find the best charities to give to with the Hurricane Harvey relief efforts. We recommend AmeriCares, a non-profit focused on medicine and health, seeking to provide emergency medical supplies and other basic resources to first responders and others in Texas. Welcome back to Spotlight 19, your podcast for all things Congressional District New York 19. This is Justin Tracy. We originally planned to do a traditional episode this weekend, but some of the time we allotted for the episode went to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand's town hall on Saturday, who our listeners will get to hear from a little bit later. So today we'll have a recap on some of Representative Faso's July votes, some info on his whereabouts this recess, followed by Sarge's interview with Glenn Gare of Move Forward New York. So first I'm going to recap five of Representative Faso's votes in July. Number one. As some of our listeners know, Saja and I traveled to the Muir National Monument in California early this month, and we were struck by the fact that directly next to Muir's home was a Valero gas station. So I'm pleased to report that John Faso voted in favor of a bill that increases the boundaries of the Muir historic site. I only hope he would show this level of commitment to the environment, but his record has been spotty at best. Number two, there was one vote for which John Faso did break with his party. That was for a bill giving states more time to comply with ozone standards that were put in place years ago that lower the allowable ozone emission level from 75 parts per billion to 70 The bill means that states have more time to comply with the stricter standard of ozone emissions, effectively resulting in more ozone in the atmosphere. This is especially alarming in light of Hurricane Harvey's destruction, which is a storm that was strengthened in part due to warm conditions in the Gulf. Number three. John Faso voted in favor of the GROW Act, which loosens restrictions on the permitting process of reservoirs and dams in central California. One of the reasons the process takes time is to conduct environmental reviews, including impact on native species. However, lobbyists for the central California farmers seem to have won here. This is a group that struggles when there is a drought. Number four. Representative Faso voted in favor of $695 billion in military spending. Now, you might think that this money might be headed towards our veterans. <laughs> but instead, it largely goes to hardware purchases and more profits for the military-industrial complex. Number five. Last, he voted in favor of Kate's Law a bill that gives illegal immigrants who repeatedly enter the country longer sentences. These offenders, even if they committed a non-violent crime, for example, forgery, would be given harsher sentences if they had come into the U.S. illegally twice. But this is counterintuitive that Faso, a fiscal hawk, would vote for a bill that results in greater cost to the taxpayer since we will be paying for longer prison sentences of these individuals. Other than his votes, Faso's recess was spent meeting constituents, although many of these meetings were simply photo ops, 
and not accompanied by any statements on what types of bills he would be co-sponsoring for some of the communities that he met with. John Fazo also spent a week of his recess in Israel, and we will be having a longer discussion and report on that trip in next week's show featuring New York 19 candidate Brian Flynn. We'll now delve into the planning process for what John Fazzo is erroneously calling his third town hall. And you might already know, Representative Fazzo has not yet had any town hall that is completely open to the public and not within the district. We at Spotlight 19 are a bit confused about how he got to number three, as his event in April is the only event that John Fazzo has had that does resemble a town hall, although It was out of town in Troy. But before we get to our interview with Glenn Gare of Move Forward New York, the group instrumental in actually locating and convincing Fazzo he should meet with constituents in the district, we have a special message for our listeners. We were planning this show before Senator Kirsten Gillibrand announced her town hall, held on Saturday, August 26. Senator Gillibrand's staff was incredibly courteous to Spotlight 19 and allowed us to speak to her along with other members of the press, something Representative John Fazzo's staff declined for us. We have a special message from Kirsten Gillibrand for our listeners, some of whom reach out to us on Twitter and let us know about how frustrating it has been not to feel heard by our congressman. Senator, uh, my husband and I started a podcast called Spotlight 19. Uh, the grassroots here has really uh, strived to keep John Fazzo accountable, but it doesn't seem like we're getting results. Uh, what message of encouragement do you have to the activists and constituents here in New York 19, where you are the first elected official that has had an open town hall with notice to everyone? I think it's really important for all of our constituents around this state and in this district particularly to be heard. I think it's really important to speak out on the issues that they care about and if they don't like their congressmen members' votes, to speak out against those votes. Uh, Congress is supposed to represent us. Uh, they are supposed to listen to the people and then vote for things that are important to us. And when they are not doing that, we have to just speak out, push back and demand accountability. And that's what elections are. So I hope everyone speaks out. I hope everyone who wants to run runs. But I believe that this is when democracy works best, when regular people stand up and demand action. And that is all your listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that was just fantastic. And it was so great to have an elected official so eager to meet with constituents and the press. Now we'll turn to Sarge's discussion on August 22nd with Glenn Gare professor at SUNY New Pulse, Move Forward New York member, and candidate for Ulster County Legislator. Today, we're speaking to Glenn Gare, who is a part of Move Forward New York, which is one of the grassroots groups here in New York 19, and he is also a professor at SUNY New Pulse, also right here in the district. So welcome to Glenn. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to speak to us. Yeah, you got it. Thanks so much for uh, having me on the show, Sanja. Of course. Uh, so, Glenn, tell us a little bit about Move Forward New York before we get into some of the questions I have for you about the organization of the John Fazzo Town Hall. 
Move Forward New York is, uh, I think it's one of the bigger grassroots groups here in the Hudson Valley. I'm fortunate to have been one of the the founders of the group. I might say the primary founder was Deborah Clinton. She's a good friend of of our family. And we had the Clintons over and some other people over to watch the election results. You know, it was, I think, a typical kind of story, unfortunately, at this point. Sure, sure. And... You know, we were so sure Hillary was going to win. People made chili, and we called it Chili for Hillary. We were all happy and ready, and this was going to be a great event for all of us, the first woman president and so forth. And we were horrified. And I woke up at 3 in the morning and looked at my phone and saw the, the new reality. It was absolutely horrific. We just sat there on the kitchen table and said, when we knew, before the election was over, and we knew where it was going, we sat there and said, we have to do something about this. We need to absolutely take action. And we just met a few times with just our families and a couple other close friends. And we said, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a grassroots group. We're going to get involved in the local governmental processes. And we are going to start writing letters to the editor and writing letters to our congressman. And we are going to take all the steps involved in government participation in a democracy so that we can make a difference. And the first meeting we had was at the Clinton's house in Gardner, and Deborah just put out an email inviting people, anyone who was in the area and who was on board with our mission of essentially being horrified at the direction that this country was suddenly put onto. Let's say about 40, maybe 50 people showed up, and everybody... Wow. amazing. It was really amazing, and everybody spoke and introduced him or herself. I mean, it might have been a three- or four-hour meeting, but everyone had their own personal reasons that they were just shocked and concerned about what is about to happen to our country. And I'd say four or five people might have cried at that meeting. You know, it was a very emotional meeting. I feel like the larger political situation right now is affecting people at this personal level that has that we that I've you know I'm 47 I've never seen in my life so that was the origin and then uh you know we called more meetings we hooked up with the Gardner Democrats which is just an extraordinary group of seasoned professionals when it comes to politics in the area and they were thrilled to have us use the Gardner Town Hall in connection with the Gardner Democrats for our meeting space that's how we started and we've essentially been in the activist business ever since then Wow. I, I didn't actually personally realize that you guys were such a new group because it seems like you're very organized and have been around for a long time. So that is really a reflection on all the effort that's going into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. So I actually heard about the Fazo Town Hall while Justin and I were on vacation, and I was really taken aback because it it took eight months into his term to get him to actually agree after, you know, countless calls upon him to host a town hall. There have been a number of congressional recesses so far. So what were the steps that actually went into getting John Fazo to agree to have this town hall, which is on August 31st uh, over in Isopas? Well, there were there have been people across the Hudson Valley asking him for a town hall since probably before he stepped into office. People in our group started emailing his staff pretty early on, A, asking for a meeting. That was a goal of ours from early on. And then B, when we finally got a meeting, the goal was to try to organize a town hall with him. So these were goals of our group, I'd say, from early on. Now, these were, I guess, what I would call proximate goals. Um, while addressing the 19th district is 
one of the goals of Move Forward New York. I'd say that our broader goals are much more about changing the face of the government across the country, starting locally and kind of moving up. So that particular seed is definitely important to us, but I'd say that sort of is one of many of the goals that we have. So people were emailing him looking for a meeting with Move Forward members and him. That eventually did happen. That happened in late May. So we might have started asking in January or February. So we sat down and Deborah Clinton, who's essentially the the leader of our group, um, led that meeting. And the very first thing she said was, a goal of this meeting is to have town hall that we organize with you. And that was at first met with resistance. There was conversation. There was some negotiation and so forth. The, The bottom line was that he said at that meeting, why don't you send me a proposal? Because we put forward at that idea certain concerns we had surrounding lots of issues, including what a meeting might look like and so forth. And he said, why don't you write a proposal? I wrote a proposal. I forwarded it by folks from the group who were in attendance at that meeting. We banged out the details. And that ended up being, you know, essentially approved. I got a call. I don't know when. It might have been in July sometime. It might have been June or July. But essentially got a call saying, you know, we think we want to move forward with this. And then we started working out the logistics. And it's now, scheduled, scheduled for next Thursday. So that's essentially the timeline. Sure. Uh, now, were there any requirements that he requested in that be in the proposal? For me, I know that in our tracking of this kind of evolution of John Basel and whether he would or wouldn't have a town hall, initially he would say he was really concerned with town halls not being a productive forum because people start yelling at each other, there's chanting, and he always seems to hinge on this word civility, which was also something that was mentioned in the press surrounding the announcement that there would be a town hall, that there are going to be rules of civility, there's no signage permitted, there's a divvying up of the number of tickets are limited. Some of the town halls around the country are in these huge spaces where hundreds of people can attend. So what were any of the types of requirements you wanted for the proposal? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I can address that. That's, that's a little multifaceted what you're asking, so I can address mm-hmm. each of those points in turn. You should probably know a little bit about in my own background as a professor at SUNY New Paltz. Last year, I was the chair of our president's task force on free speech. So free speech is a very big issue in college campuses these days. I'm guessing you might be aware of, you know, there have been a lot of incidents at Middlebury. So if you look into the somewhat recent history of SUNY New Paltz, we had a big controversy regarding a guy named Cliff Kincaid. Cliff Kincaid lives somewhere in the South. He is a staunch conservative who is, I guess you might call him a pundit. He he um he has a blog. He does these videos. He's written several books. Uh, he's been perceived as very offensive to a lot of people that consider themselves progressive. I'll put it that way. So there was an event that was going to happen, gosh, I guess going back now, about a year and a half ago on our campus. And it was organized by student activities. And it was going to be Cliff Kincaid debating, I don't even remember the guy's name, but a, a very like strong liberal guy who also deals with media issues. I guess that's a common theme for both of them. And it was organized on campus. We'd already paid, or our school had already paid to have these people come. And faculty started digging up stuff about Cliff Kincaid, and people were outraged. And people started sending, he's been um, cited on the Southern uh, Poverty Law Center, 
website for X, Y, and Z. He said lots of things that were inflammatory toward various groups, and this ended up being a very controversial guy. Short version is that event got canceled by the organizers. And after that event got canceled by the organizers, there was another uproar. And this other uproar was, are you kidding me? We're not going to let this guy speak, you know? This is a university. We need multiple perspectives. We should be able to have a civil conversation with someone, even if we fully disagree. So it was suddenly this national controversy that's happening really all across the country. It suddenly hit home. President Don Christian, I think he's a big advocate of multiple perspectives. You know, he's the president of a liberal arts university, so I think he should be. And so what he did was he put together a group, the Free Speech Task Force, um, that I ended up chairing. It was all faculty, and we re-invited, this was really interesting how it played out, re-invited Cliff Kincaid to come and debate a different, a guy named Steve Rendell, a different sort of liberal media guy, and that event essentially got um, rescheduled. And in the rescheduling of it, we looked really carefully at issues regarding how to deal with a controversial speaker in, in a best practices kind of way. And one of the people I was lucky to work with was Lisa Phillips, who is a journalism professor here who has tons of experience with First Amendment issues and these kinds of things. And what we ended up doing was we organized it. There was, and this is standard practice among journalists who deal with this issue, have a separate protest zone outside. So in other words, if you would prefer to protest the speaker than to be at the event and ask that person questions, fine, but you have to do it in, in you know, a particular space. So that was essentially the mechanism that we used. So the event happened. People that asked questions were absolutely furious at this guy. He said various things that were offensive to people in the room at the time, to be honest. But we let him. what was important was we let him speak in what we considered a reasonably fair and civil kind of context. And I'll tell you, people that started in that room not agreeing with this guy did not walk out changing their opinion, you know, to put it simply. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to the meeting with John Fossil. I described briefly this experience of mine, and I said, you know, I said, I have some experience organizing meetings where it might be controversial and it's important and we really want people to be able to have their, their voices heard from the multiple perspectives and the multiple individuals in the room who are trying to express their views. And I said, you know what, we'd like to have that kind of conversation with you. So the idea of civility partly emanates from him, but also partly emanated from my experience with that issue, sort of connecting it with the organization of this. So you'll see that there is a protest. The protest is already organized. I found out just this morning. But on the other hand, we're hoping that there's not going to be just a shouting match in the room because that sort of defeats the purpose of hearing what he has to say and saying what we need to say and so forth. So that is essentially how we organize it and, and it looks like that was that was appealing to him. Sure. And you know, he refers to that event he had back in the spring that we like to call a Q and A because it my personal feeling and I think a lot of people think that when you hold a meeting that's out of the district and is kind of logistically difficult for most of your constituents. And that was the meeting back in the spring that was up near Albany and it was televised. The teletown hall that was very limited. I think it had a hundred seats available, but right. overall I think the tone of that was, there was no doubting because way back at our, 
I think it was the first time we had people on the show as guests and they were two constituents who became involved and were at that event and they told us that a lot of people were a little bit intimidated. They'd never been in a TV studio setting. And I also think it was um, before the healthcare vote, which I think is one of uh, the votes of John Fazos that stirs up the most controversy for people in our district. And I fully expect to see a really high level of participation in the protests. But at the same time, I think for a lot of people who have questions for the congressman, I hope they you know abide by the protocols that are set to see what does he have to say? Is it any different now than it has been before? I, I did read some of the rules of the town hall, and it is going to be held in East Sopas. Can you tell us a little bit more about the venue? Yeah, I actually visited the venue yesterday. I met up with two of the staff folks from the congressman's office, and we scoped it out. I'd never been to the town hall of the Sopus. This is in the basement room. It supposedly has a cap of 240 people, so the idea is just going to be 200 attendees, and there'll be some, some press and some staff people there as well, and so I'm pretty sure that we're going to fill that room. The venue is not one that we proposed. The original proposed venue would have been at SUNY New Paltz in one of our large auditoriums or maybe in one of the high school auditoriums. But there was a particular history to the um, venue issue, which has to do with the fact that just about the time when we were talking about making this happen was very closely connected in time to when there was that shooting at the baseball practice in D.C., And it was pretty, honestly, it was powerful enough. The folks there said, we, based on security issues, really need to oversee where this event is held. And I said, you know, that sounds right to me, um, as long as it addressed the other issues that were important to us. And I said, as long as it's in Ulster County, I said, because that's where our core is. And so that was an agreement. The Esopus Town Hall is good in terms of security issues for details. Maybe I won't divulge right now, but there are certain features that are unique to that. Again, we're good for security-related issues, and I think we all have to think that, you know, agree that security is, is definitely has to be first and foremost. So that's essentially how the venue came out. Now, the venue, it's on Broadway in Esopus. There's Lots of businesses and other kinds of things right across the street within um, a 0.1-mile radius. So while I don't think for a lot of reasons the venue's perfect, if people want to come to the venue and engage in a protest in the protest zone or get in line to attend the event for the first-come, first-served tickets, which there are going to be 60 available per our agreement, it's going to be feasible. It definitely will be for people that really want to attend, and we hope people will. Great. Uh, you mentioned that there are 60 first-come, first-served tickets available. Could you kind of get into how the remaining tickets were divvied up? I read somewhere that there are 30% of the tickets are going to uh, people John Fazel has selected. Is that correct or incorrect? Yeah, That's so here's, here's how it is. So of the 200, so th- we wanted more. You know, it was one of these negotiating things. We wanted, we might have proposed 250 or 300, something like that. You know, he proposed 200. Of the 200, 70, the agreement is essentially 70 will be from the Move Forward New York group. 70 will be based on his office, and then another 60 will be people that just come, first come, first serve at the line. The Move Forward group, we came up with a specific process, which was 
we automatically invited people that were in attendance at that organizing meeting, people that are on the steering committee, and, and a few select other folks connected with the organization. But beyond that, we put out a call with the additional slots that we had. We put out a call saying, if you email this email address at, by this day and time, we're going to just go on a first-come, first-serve basis, and people can get tickets that way. So that's how we're staffing the 70 that we have. So what was the response? to that call for tickets? Um, I think a lot of people, I didn't check the email myself. Deborah Clinton emailed me Mm -hmm. today, and I think that she said that there were maybe between 30 and 50 people, something like that. And we're right now in the process of figuring out how many we'll be able to accommodate and, and, you know, how we're going to work that out. Because we want to make sure that of the 70 slots we have, we want to make sure that we definitely have a person for each one. So we're hoping to accommodate as many as we can. Um, To my understanding, the congressman's office put out a call simply saying if you want to come for um, the congressman's 70 allocated seats, just call the phone number, which looked to me like there was going to be just a lot of, uh, it looked to me like an open call for constituents. You know, I don't know. Do you know where that was posted? Yeah, that was in a press release that I think ultimately made it into the Times Herald Record and maybe the Hudson Valley One online. Very good point, because you're right, because there's a lot of opinions and concerns on this side or that side, but the very bottom line, there's tons of people that are very passionate about the governmental process right now, and I think that's Sure. And so like a return to your civics civics roots and getting back out there. I noticed that no signage was permitted. Do you, was that something you included, or how did that come you know, about? I'm, I am trying to think, to be honest. I don't know if that level of detail was included in the proposal. It may or may not have been, because I will say that when we had the Cliff Kincaid event at SUNY New Balls, that was considered a best practice for a couple of reasons, including visual blockage issues and security-related issues. Um and so that's a practice that we decided, you know, if people want to want to get him, um, you know, so to speak, they should do it with content. Um, and that's essentially, so that was something that I don't, again, I don't remember where that emanated from, but that was something that we essentially agreed to. And again, it related to this idea of trying to, to allow free, uh, free expression. Now, is there, is there a dress code? Gosh, <laughs> now you got me. That that's a question I certainly cannot answer, but I think I'll try to dress reasonably nice myself. I, I think it's interesting because uh, there's a few things out there that you can buy. There's like uh, bumper stickers that we've and lawn signs that we've started to see, and I think there is a T-shirt that is about John Sabo's vote on healthcare. So I was I was I'm interested to see. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, that pans oh, out. You know what? I, my guess, yeah, there's not a dress code, so I think people can, yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I think people are allowed to, as long as you wear a shirt, I think you can probably wear it <laughs> within, yeah. Within reason. Um, sure. I'm curious to see what you think about, um, you know, why why can't we have these sorts of town halls regularly? Why did it take so much effort um, on the part of this grassroots group that, you had to go to the length of writing a proposal. Of course, it's great to have these best practices and security, but on the same vein, there are many Congress people, members of Congress out there that are just regularly having town halls. Mm. 
Yeah, well, um, I think you're right. I think I think I can probably say that almost everyone in Move Forward New York agrees with that concern that you just expressed. Um, I think it's a very difficult time in history right now. I think that people regarding uh, politics have their emotions strongly engaged. Um, there have been lots of instances of Congress people having town halls, and it hasn't fared well for them. And I think sometimes they're thinking more about how they come across politically than they are thinking about reaching out to and communicating with their constituents. And of course, communicating with their constituents is a foundational aspect of what any local or any elected official should be doing. So, you know, I think it's for you know, there's a combination of things going on right there, but at the end of the day, I think that we all think that this is an essential thing that a congressperson has to do. Um, so hopefully this is step one. Hopefully this is the first in a series. And if people are concerned about this being a little more controlled than they wish, than it should be, maybe in the future that could change. Yeah, I mean, I hope uh, that this is the start of many and that maybe it takes a little bit less in the way of proposals and meetings and it can just be, wow, this was a great event. It was great to talk to my constituents. Uh, I should do this more often is the outcome. Um, I hope so. But, but I did notice that actually the event is not posted on his schedule and one of my and many people's uh, kind of criticisms of John Fazos, it's very hard to determine where he will be and what he is doing when he's in the district. Um, he's been on recess for pretty much the whole month, and there have been many days when his daily schedule is just left blank. And, of course, there's a security concern, but this this is an announced event, but yeah. there seems to be um, kind of, it almost seems like he's not promoting it as much. Uh, I see what you're saying. I'd say the promotion of this came out kind of late. Um, you know, I was actually traveling with my family when this kind of got the needed thumbs up from all relevant parties, and that was maybe just like a week or 10 days ago even. So it's very late breaking. Um, they, we put out a, a press release on our end that they had approved. They had put out a, a press release maybe a couple days later, um, and it made it into, like I said, I saw it in the Times Held Record and a few other sources. So it, their office is putting it out there. Um, it should be. I think it should be on the calendar. I'm not sure if that's if that's intentional or logistical um, at the root of that. I'm not sure. But I yeah. definitely think it ought to be on that as well. And um, could you tell us a little bit about the format of, of how the question and answer session will go? And sure. Yeah. So um, there'll be some uh, some introductions at the beginning. Um, hopefully, 15 minutes at the most, and that's going to include a 10-minute um, introduction by the congressman himself. And we had and built into the proposal that we wanted a moderator for the event. And in fact, that we wanted two moderators for the event because there was an issue of which side gets to pick the moderator kind of thing. Um, so there's two wow. moderators, and the, each one they'll take turns moderating questions. You know, moderator A will do one, and then moderator B will do the other. Um, the person chosen to be moderator on 
their end is actually um, a member of the administration here at SUNY New Paltz, Dr. Gerald Benjamin, um, has a, a deep background in New York politics, um, a PhD in, in political science, and he's actually someone who's really well known by a lot of us in the group. So, you know, I know Jerry, I like Jerry. Um, he hired me almost 20 years ago, actually, myself. So I think a lot of us were, to be honest, just happy that he's he's an independent-minded person who has, I think, uh, very, very good experience with overseeing events like this. Um, and the moderator that we chose um, ended up being Deborah Clinton herself. So Deborah's the primary founder um, and leader of our group, and I, I don't know if you've met her or not, but she's got a reputation which is highly warranted as being very sharp, um, very up on the details, and she's a middle school principal, so she happens to be great at crowd control and overseeing meetings <laughs> as well. Yeah, so so given given that setup, and there will be an opportunity for follow-up questions, and people will be reading their own questions. So the uh, questions if, won't be vetted beforehand. Oh, yes. Well, let me tell you about that process. There was a concern, and I agree with this concern. There was a concern that there might be redundancy depending on how we set up the questions. So we had this idea, and I guess this has happened at other town halls around the country, that everyone who comes who wants to ask a question when while he or she is waiting in line can write the question on an index card with their name. We have two people from Move Forward New York who are going to be like on the sort of sorting committee who are going to take the questions and sort them essentially into different categories. Because we don't really, you know, if it were just randomly selected, it could be 10 questions about Charlottesville, for instance, because it's so topical, and then the event could end. So to, to make sure that the different issues were represented we went with this particular process. And so it's going to be people from Move Forward New York sorting them into these categories, and then the moderators are going to essentially select the questions, and then they're going to ask the questions. So that's the process. And you're not moderating it yourself, right? That's correct, yeah. I was initially um, in the proposal slated to moderate it myself, actually, partly based on my experience moderating events, like I was saying before, on campus at SUNY New Paltz. But since we organized this meeting, I've uh, actually taken the next step in grassroots activism, and I'm actually standing for um, a position with the Ulster County Legislature right now, District 12 in Platykill. And we kind of concluded that someone running for office wouldn't really be appropriately placed to be a moderator at such an event, which is fine because Deborah's going to do it, and she's even smarter than I am. <laughs> well, uh, if any listener wants to check out, uh, you know, your campaign or find out more about you, where should they uh, go to? Sure. Um, I appreciate the question. So I have a website for my campaign. It is gareforlegislator.com, so G-E-H-E-R-F-O-R, and then legislator, T-O-R at the end, Um and I also have a Facebook page so people can look at that as well. Um, one of the things I've done in my experience for months now, well, for years now, has been write a lot of letters to the editor of various newspapers. And so I have links to a lot of things that I've written. I also write a blog for Move Forward New York called The Uprising, um, which I think has a pretty good readership. And I have a blog for my campaign called Run With Glenn. 
Great. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out of your schedule to tell us a little bit more about all of the steps that went into having the town hall. We're really excited that at long last, eight months in, John uh, is going to be meeting with constituents, and you know, and hopefully, hopefully, it'll be a productive uh, event, and we can have more like it. And thank you so much for your work and for being on the show. You got it. Thank you so much for taking the time and for all the thoughtful questions. You've been listening to Spotlight 19, and that's Glenn Gare, who organized this town hall, which I'll be going to in a couple of hours, actually. And there is a certain amount of controversy surrounding this town hall and its format. You know, having to jump through hoops just to get our congressman to meet with us. People have a right to be upset. I still think that any influence we can have to make changes while he's in office is, is something worth fighting for. So I'm going to go down and see what it's like, you know, and I can compare the Senator Gillibrand's town hall in Kingston with this one and hopefully have something to share with you on the show next week about it. We also have uh, Brian Flynn. One of the candidates running for John Faso's seat, and we're looking forward to having him into the studio on Saturday. So until then, keep the faith, and don't forget to head to the links in the podcast description for Hurricane Harvey relief. Breathe. The freshest air you'll breathe. You walk through the trees